Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, episode 460. This is the weekly podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with American-grown flowers and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to Florist Review Magazine. I'm delighted to serve as contributing editor for Slow Flowers Journal, found in the pages of Florist Review. Read our stories at slowflowersjournal.com. Our first sponsored thanks goes to the Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers. Formed in 1988, ASCFG was created to educate, unite, and support commercial cut flower growers. Its mission is to help growers produce high-quality floral material and to foster and promote the local availability of that product. Learn more at ASCFG.org. Today, I'm so thrilled to introduce you to floral celebrity Kristen Griffith Vanderyacht the savvy and charismatic head judge on Netflix, The Big Flower Fight, and owner of Seattle-based design studio, Wild Bloom. After binging on all eight episodes of The Big Flower Fight when it debuted in late May, I have to say that Kristen is the heartbeat of this fun, new reality floral and garden design competition. He sets the tone for the friendly competition by offering each design team his advice, guidance, and sometimes painful but necessary reality checks. I really enjoyed Kristen's presence on the Big Flower Fight. He served as the resident floral design expert, as well as the show's stylish personality whose commentary moved things along during each one-hour episode. When the show launched, I didn't know much about Kristen, although I had been following his Wild Bloom Instagram account once I learned about him through other Seattle florists. Several weeks ago, Mayesh Wholesale's Yvonne Ashton invited Kristen to be her guest on her Facebook show, Mornings with Mayesh. It was great to watch. I was so happy to virtually meet Kristen during that interview, and I've added the link to that show in our notes for you to watch uh, the Facebook Live replay. I appreciated Kristen's transparency and authenticity as a black floral professional, especially since that interview took place right after George Floyd's death at the hands of Minneapolis police. It was and is such an emotionally wrought time. And Kristen didn't deflect any questions from Yvonne or from those posed by the Mornings with Mayesh audience. He gained my immense regard and respect by speaking directly to these issues. Later, I messaged Kristen and asked if he'd be open to my interviewing him for a florist review article. You can see my profile and Q&A with Kristen coming up in the August issue, which you'll be able to find at floristreview.com. And now, please enjoy our extended conversation recorded via Zoom last month. Here's a bit more about Kristen Griffith Vanderyacht of Wild Bloom. Kristen Griffith Vanderyacht specializes in the creation of unique floral arrangements that celebrate enchanting flowers and natural beauty. 
He is the owner and creative director of Wild Bloom by Kristen Griffith Vanderyacht. His career began, began in New York City, where he worked for some of the top designers in the industry. Since opening his own studio, Kristen's flowers have been in major publications across the U.S., including Martha Stewart Weddings, Traditional Home Magazine, and The Knot, and seen on Good Morning America and E! Network. His flowers for actress Julianne Hough were featured on the front cover of People magazine. Kristen describes his design philosophy as a combination of editorial with a sensibility for distinctive and organic perspectives. He has an exquisite and rich design eye, which has helped to transform the role that florals play in weddings and events. In addition to his extensive portfolio, his studio also provides private classes and workshops for emerging floral artists and enthusiasts. Kristen views floristry as a gateway to a happier, more sustainable life that focuses on bridging the gap between nature and modern living. He continues his work toward elevating the artistry of floral design as a fine art while expanding his portfolio to include gardening, houseplants, and home decor. Wild Bloom design services are available worldwide for weddings, events, workshops, private classes, advertising campaigns, product shoots, and fashion featured in print and digital publications. You'll want to check out photos that Kristen has shared with us in today's show notes for episode 460, which you can find at deborahprinzing.com. There you'll also see the trailer for the big flower fight and watch a video of one of Kristen's floral design demonstrations. Please enjoy our conversation. I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. Let's get started. I grew up in Michigan, in Detroit, yeah. and then I moved to New York when I was 19 um, from, well, I went to college in Boston, mm-hmm. and I moved to New York when I was 19 from Boston. Did you transfer then, or just graduate no, super early? I, no, no, not, not D, none of the above. I was going to a performing arts college. I went to Boston Conservatory. Oh, Right. Wow. And I moved to New York because I ended up getting the national tour of Rent. And so I was like, what am I saying in school to be a performer for? And I just got a job being a performer. Bye. So absolutely. That. That's amazing. Did you yeah, tour cool. to Seattle at all with Rent? Several times. Yeah. I wonder if I saw you. 2005 and 2008. I think we came through Seattle. I was on it for three years. I saw it at the Moore Theater. I don't know if you... Both times I was here, it was at the Paramount. Okay. So I saw a different cast. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, a, more wow. So you really have a musical theater. Uh, that's your or, that's your original career path that you were wanting to pursue. Yeah. 100%. Well, I do want to just ask you a little bit about your path to um, Wild Bloom, but I, let's start just talking about your current business. I mean, are you, is, yeah. tell me about Wild Bloom Floral. How, when did you actually start it? Cause you've mentioned on the Mayash uh, interview that you rebranded when you moved to Seattle. Yeah. So I, I officially started my floral business in 2013. I had been doing flowers since 2011, but never had the courage to actually jump into the pool. Um, Cause I'm very much the kind of person that if I'm going into a new space, I love to like wait at the door and check out the room 
before I actually enter. <laughs> so I spent like two years just sort of like checking out the room of floral design. Mm-hmm. And then uh, it became very clear to me that it was the obvious choice when I was in grad school. I was in grad school at Columbia University uh, studying psychology to be a counselor, to be a school counselor. Wow. And I was, uh, you know, working with the kiddos and doing your field work. And I was thinking about flowers. <laughs> and I was like, this is not fair to them or to me. Their, you know, mental health is so important to me. So why not? give those kids someone who they actually deserve, who really wants to be here and isn't just, you know, continuing on the safe path. Wow. Um, yeah. So from, from going to Boston Conservatory, Conservatory? Conservatory. Yeah. Boston Conservatory. To getting cast in the national, uh, the touring show of Rent. Yeah. To whenever, at some point you then decided to go to grad school, like, like. Yeah. So I actually, while I was on tour, started an online degree in psychology. So I, yeah, so I, I picked up where I left off. I only had two years left to finish. And right. it was really important for me to get an undergrad degree anyway. My family are all, you know, have a higher education, doctorates, masters, et cetera. And so it was like, okay, I have to at least finish my undergrad. And what's the best way to do it? Oh, let's go online. I'm here. Yeah. I have nothing but time. I'm only working four hours a day <laughs> because you just go and do the show and then you leave unless you have two shows that day. So then you're actually clocking in a full eight hours. Right. But, you know, so I was like, let me just figure that out. And theater for me was always about connecting with people and making a difference in someone else's life through a performance. And it's the same thing with psychology and it's the same thing with flowers. It's always about trying to give people the inspiration that they need to feel like they can conquer whatever issues they're having. Um, I love those. I love the connected dots between all those practices. Yeah. Uh, So you didn't, I mean, I'm just curious, did you just decide you couldn't see yourself living on the road or in the theater grind your whole professional life. Is that kind of why you pivoted to something maybe that your family would have expected from you originally, like getting a master's degree? Yeah. I wasn't that I couldn't see myself doing the theater thing. It was more like, where is this going? I I could not wrap my head around um, an industry that there's like no sort of, um, I don't know how to describe predictability to it. Yeah. Like you could go and be on a, in a Broadway show, right? And then when you come off of that show, you're auditioning with kids who just graduated from college. There's no sort of like experience factor that allows you to (laughs) like to to have claim like I would I would be in auditions with people who had Tony nominations right I'm looking over there being like oh my god you're still auditioning right you have a Tony nomination like that it doesn't get much better than that like where's the respect so I think that was one layer but really the the major factor for me was theater was about community I grew up in an incredibly religious home where I felt like 
I felt like an outcast in many ways. I felt like a disappointment in so many ways, being gay and being, you know, so flamboyant and being ostentatious and loving sparkly things. At the time, I was just like, I've got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. I got to go find other people like me. And so theater was like, oh my God, everyone's like me. I'm not even the weirdest person here. I'm actually pretty basic compared to all these other big personalities. And so it really allowed me to find an extended family. And then, yeah, and then Rent came along and I felt so much love. I felt so much acceptance. And so in many ways, I felt complete. That hole in my heart that needed to be filled was overflowing. Uh, with love and acceptance. So, you know, once I conquer something, I'm kind of like, okay, what's next? What's next? Let me keep pushing myself. So, and when I made that connection to what theater actually was feeding me, I was able to be like, okay, I did it. And then Rent was my dream show, show, and I got to play my dream role, which was Angel. Oh my and God. So, yeah. And so I was like, it doesn't like, what am I going to do? Go back to what am I going to go do? Like, it doesn't get better than this for Re- me, at yeah. least. Regional theater in some, yeah. like, supporting role? Forget it. <laughs> right. Which, yeah. you know, listen, I would do. I totally, I'm not above any of that stuff. But right. I, I just felt so full. And and I had other interests. And I think if you have other interests in life, you know, you should give yourself an opportunity to explore them. I love the story you shared on the Mayesh call, uh, Mornings with Mayesh, when you talked about... Um, just kind of breaking into the floral industry mm-hmm. as a self, basically a self-taught designer um, yeah. in New York, right? And yeah. then somebody gave you a really good break, some photographer, yeah. and mm-hmm. and is that sort of a like a significant point in your life where you really turned a page to a new chapter for yourself? Yeah, that's a hundred percent. I was, um, I had just sort of like really committed to everything. And I don't remember the exact timeline because magazines come out at different times. Um, So I want to say it might've been either fall or summer of 2013 or 14, one of those. I'm terrible at math. Don't ask me. And I was late. I was late to this photo shoot. And I was like, please, oh my gosh. Like I was on the train holding these... (laughs) Bouquets, as yeah. one does in New York City. Yeah, you weren't like in a, a town no. car in the back seat. No, yeah. please, no. I was on like the yellow line. I was on the end train. <laughs> late, because the end train was taking me late. And I walked into the photo shoot not knowing that I was, it was completely inappropriate for me to bust in there. You know, sometimes ignorance has really helped me in terms of getting <laughs> over some sort of industry standard. <laughs> And I, I walked in and there was a C. I'm talking at least 100 or 150 other bouquets sitting on the floor of this photo studio. And they had already started shooting. And the photographer looked over because, you know, I burst in the door. I'm here. <laughs> Heavy breathing. Because I'm like running down a hall holding these, you know, bouquets in my hand. I burst in the door. The light pours into a dark studio because they've got all the lights off, right? They have the studio lights on. The photographer looks over at me and the fashion editor looks over at me and he's like, bring those bouquets over here. Wow. He, he didn't say, get out. He wasn't like, what are you doing right. here? Yeah. How did he that? Wasn't, 
He wasn't like, put those down, get out of here, add them to the pile. He saw them and was like, bring those in, come in. He gave me a seat at the table. And wow. Yeah. And it was, it was amazing. His name is Eric Madigan Heck, by the way. And is he still in the great. business? Still shooting? Um, I hope so. I hope so. I hope he's still That'd be a kind at of it. fun reunion photo shoot for you when you get back he's to really New York. He's really talented. He, and he's really talented too. Yeah, it'd be great. At the time, what was your goal? Were you trying to build up a, a wedding and event business? Because um, obviously mm-hmm. getting published is a huge way to market yourself. Yeah. You know, I was really trying to recreate a lot of the experience that I had when I was planning my own wedding. So when I was planning my own wedding, the vendors that I picked had a very strong brand identity. And they had a very strong perspective from, you know, where they worked as artists. From the cake designer to, you know, the lighting team to the, everyone was just like very intense in what they're doing. And so when I was starting my business, I was like, I want other customers to look at me and have that same experience. So getting published was a major goal of mine when I was first starting. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And were you, when were you, tell me your husband's name. Aaron. Okay. So when were you and Aaron married? Was just a little bit before that? Yeah, we were married in uh, June. Oh my gosh. Our, I think our anniversary is on Monday, June 22nd, 2013. 23rd? 22nd. Oh God. Don't ask me. All right. It's around the solstice. You know that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I do think that I hear that story a lot from people that planning their own wedding kind of reveals all the imperfections in the floral industry or in the Mm -hmm. wedding industry where you're like, I I, I could do it better. I I could find a better way. Yeah. And it also, it required that I had to have a laser focus on um, on design because the pressure of having other people come to examine your work, even if it is in a wedding and people are like there to celebrate and they just want to get drunk and eat food and dance. For me, it's like, oh my God, this is going to be very public. was like, snap, I have to, I have to really come correct. But even before that, I was interning at this incredible studio called Sprout Home in oh. Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Oh yeah. I've been to yeah. their Chicago store. Oh, yes, exactly. So uh, I was interning there and uh, I I was learning so much from the head designer. Her name is Doanne Lai. She has like a bajillion followers on Instagram because her work is stunning. And I watched her, like, again, I was standing at the door, examining the room, like observing. And I was watching her process as she would make bouquets and centerpieces. And I was like, I can't follow. I cannot follow what you're doing. But by the end, it was this masterpiece of a design. And that's when in my head, I was like, it's not about me being able to follow someone else. It's about listening to my own voice because that's what she was doing. She was listening to her own voice and and adhering to her own taste level that she had developed over years and years of experience. So that's when I was like, okay, I can do this. I can absolutely do this because I don't have to have some formal training. I don't need to this. I just need to like go for it and give myself the space to play. 
and trust your own point of view as just as beautiful as anybody else's point of view. A hundred percent. hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. There is sort of a tension going on, it seems, in the floral industry right now that, and it's starting to relax, but there had been this uh, highly trained camp and this Mm self-trained camp and the Mm -hmm. two, the two would never meet. I think there are people like Sue McCleary who are kind of um, reaching their arms to both camps and saying, let's, Mm -hmm. we're all here for the same reason. We want to create beauty, but it's taken forever to have acceptance that not every, not, there's not one way for everybody. Yeah. And I think that that is really um, an important point to drive home is that art has no rules, right? Art has no rules. The reason why we create standards in art is in order to formulate some sort of theory on how to actually teach it to other people. Like you have to have some sort of document, master document on what art is. But truly art is an expression of the designer, of the maker. So how could it possibly have rules? Because every single person is unique and special. So, and even the viewer is going to look at a piece of art and say, oh, I hate it. And the person standing right next to them is going to be like crying and having an emotional response to it. It's because it's all about, you know, how you interact with it. So I'm, I'm on Sue's, in Sue's camp too. It's like, do you find what makes you happy and, and experience the healing of it? Um, so where does, not, not to play too much of a devil's advocate, but where, <laughs> where do principles of design fall into that? Because there are, you know, art school teaches principles of design. Is that mm-hmm. back to the way things are ordered for, for conveying information and education? Yeah, like I think that there are there are some standards that really can apply to all sorts of art, right? Like color theory is color theory. Like certain colors do not look good together, period. It doesn't matter how ad- adventurous you are. And so I think that those sorts of things can really apply. I think where it becomes troublesome in floral design is when you see the same exact centerpiece over and over and over. It's almost as though they're just painting by numbers. And that seems so counterintuitive to me because flowers are a product of nature. Nature is unpredictable. So while you're sitting there trying to force these flowers into a V formation, nature is telling you the light is coming from the left. Let them bend that way. So it just seems like such a waste of energy to try and make someone conform specifically when we're talking about floral design. Yeah, I really appreciate that. That's such a good point in that, uh, you know, the kind of garden style, naturalistic style that's so popular right now does kind of draw from that belief that plants should, plants have their own mindset or their own gesture and don't force it. So I, I hear yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. And, and, and. And again, uh, I also think that if you are the kind of person that wants to blend the two, right? You want to blend a more garden style with whatever you think is exciting right now. You should have permission to do that, Mm. right? Like, Mm -hmm. right? So it's Mm. really sort of like whatever makes you feel um, connected to the work is what I advocate for more. And I'm a big proponent of that and I'll always stand behind that because I found art 
and creativity to be the most healing thing in my life right now. Apart from my kid, art and creativity have been like really been saving me right now. So I just want the rest of the world to be able to experience that and have that for themselves. Um, Yeah. That makes me want to ask you back to Wild Bloom Floral. Do you have a a specific aesthetic if someone said well what's your style are you mm-hmm. do you have a singular description or are you pretty broad in your uh expression when you design with flowers um i i guess the tagline is artfully crafted flowers with an editorial eye right so i really do spend a lot of time making sure that my arrangements are picture perfect and beautiful from all angles but also feels super like architectural and intentional. Um, and that takes a lot of mistakes. That takes to, to get to that point, the amount of times that I start an arrangement, I was doing an arrangement yesterday. I had to start it three times. It took me an hour to do one arrangement because I was like, these flowers aren't working with me. Wanted, and I had to just, yeah, I just had to give in. <laughs> yeah, I, I needed several do-overs. You know, well, but you, yeah. you have to edit. Good thing that you're not in the type of your studio isn't the type of uh, business that's sort of production oriented, where yeah. you're on a time time deadline. I mean, obviously you're on time yeah. deadlines, but that's not your. You would be. That's not the model. Yeah. Yeah, you'd lose the joy. I think so, and you know, and that's why I would never have a retail space. I think it's it's very different when you have a retail space, and I have a lot. I've worked in retail spaces. I actually think the company that you get to keep in a retail space can be a lot of fun. There's a lot of camaraderie that goes on there. There's a lot of shared experiences that you get to have, which <laughs> I, I love about a retail space. <laughs> kind of like theater, right? Yeah, exactly. It becomes, you know, your extended family in a lot of ways. Um, and so I do love retail for that reason, for the social interaction. But the production side of it can be a little tedious right so how is your how is your work set up now do you have a studio at your home or in a separate Mm -hmm. location yeah so I pretty much work out of my home but it has slowed down yeah it's I mean it's not existent it's not it's not existent for but I do know some retail stores who are absolutely just thriving flowers are just flying off the shelf because I can't go to your graduation so I'll send you flowers where in reverse maybe that would not have happened sure so I do know a lot of retail spaces are doing very well but on my end the event wedding installation side it's like it's all about gatherings and there are no gatherings happening so what do you what are you thinking you're going to do about that not to put you on well, the spot or anything. No, I think it's I think it's fine. I think that right now, luckily, the TV show, The Big Flower Fight, has just launched. So we're really doing a hard push for that. Um, and sort of working on expanding my brand beyond just floral design. The, mm-hmm. the tactile mm-hmm. sort of experience of floral design. Delivery, ding, ding. It's more about creating a space where people who are novices have an opportunity to feel like a pro. So I'm focusing on more um, teaching and providing the information and the push that people need 
to go after it. And I'm not talking about like, go be a professional. I'm just saying, get yourself involved in something creative. Mm -hmm. For me, it's flowers. So I'm going to talk about flowers. That's what I know. But the underlying message is always going to be, I don't care if you're crocheting. I don't care if you are, you know, installing uh, furniture into a house to sell it. If you're staging furniture. Mm -hmm doesn't matter. I don't care if you're a barista or if what you love to do is macrame. As long as you are finding something that is creative, that you can express yourself to get some of that excessive energy that we all have right yep. now out, yep. Yep. that is the most important thing to me. I love it. It's, it. It would be, I think this time is perfectly, you're poised to do something that's going to resonate with people. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so I would like to talk about Big Flower Fight. Yeah. Kristen, what a fabulous show. I was really I was really prepared to be a garden snob and hate it. <laughs> and I I'm really I think to, a lot of people were. Yeah, I have to <laughs> confess to you, you know, I think that re- competition shows and reality shows sort of have a bad rap as being brutal and fight is actually almost a misnomer because there wasn't mm-hmm. fighting in that way on the show. Right. And I think right. you set the tone for that. Thank you. Um, the production company and Netflix really made a huge effort to involve me in the uh, process of setting all the challenges. And I told them from the very beginning that I am not – Simon Cowell when it comes to judging. I'm not here to tear anyone down. I'm not here to like make sensationalized TV. I really want people to grow. And I have an immense amount of respect for the creative energy that it takes to make those sculptures. Because I know, because I know when you're sitting there being like, oh my God, we only have an hour before the client gets here. Go. And then when you're done, you're all on the floor boo-hooing because you just had this huge adrenaline like dump. <laughs> it's 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 intense. And so I really was very clear about how I'm going who I am and how I'm going to approach judging. And they were like here for it. They were completely supportive. They allowed me to be 100% myself, which I don't think that I could have been anything but myself mm-hmm. on that TV show. I've been sitting in this body for long enough. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> to, for too long to try and be something else. Um, I mean, yes. re- reining you in would have ruined the show. You, you had to yeah. have that freedom to uh, communicate in your, you know, in your own personal way. So I'm glad yeah. that they gave you that space. Yeah, they gave me so much space. So you talked about having been there and knowing that, you know, crunch of deadlines. I have to ask, at the beginning of every challenge, there was this beautiful example. Yeah. You know. You designed all of those and made all of those pieces? Yeah. So oh my gosh, that was on amazing. TV, thank you. On TV, it's a, there's a little bit of magic that happens. I was not actually the person putting the flowers <laughs> in because when we set the challenges, there's an entire pre-production that goes on on the show where we are we're doing the challenges to make sure that they're actually feasible. Oh, oh I see. Interesting. Yeah, you're, like, yeah, yeah. you're like the beta. Yeah, we're, we're the beta. We're the ones who are like, and there's an entire art department. I'm talking tens and tens of people who are spent going all day testing and running because we wanted to, we didn't want to give the contestants challenges that they couldn't do. Got it. That would have been 
just no one would have done it and we would have had crappy sculptures. So there's an entire period that happens before the cameras even start rolling where we are testing and changing and, you know, at some point we change the order of which challenge goes where in terms of the season and, oh, we're going to, we told them we're going to do this challenge, but we're going to surprise them with a different challenge. Um, so there's an entire production schedule that happens before the contestants ever even arrive. And within that schedule, there's meetings about, Kristen, what do you want for this challenge? Okay, well, I want a dress. It needs to be antique blue hydrangea. It needs to have this silhouette and we're going to do this. And so we come up with a sketch and then we go through the product list. And then just like you would for a wedding, just like you would for an event. And then the art department actually executes all of that. And so they're sending me pictures on the phone and I'm like, that color is terrible. No, don't do that. Or uh, give it a hat or this or that. So it was very collaborative. I love um, it. And I think, yeah, they had an incredible team. I bet you put a few stems in. I really didn't. Because you were really you were somewhere else doing another part of pre-production. Yeah, yeah because the days are so long. Mm. So the days are, the shoot days are so long. And when you're, and I didn't expect, this is what I also really loved, is they were very protective of my time because television is expensive. <laughs> and every moment that isn't being shot, isn't on camera, is a moment that's really wasted. So they were very, very protective of my time. Um, and so they they really didn't. like. They, they, I would go see the steps and I would give them my notes on things and say, do this. But in terms of like actual designing, it wasn't happening because yeah. I'm, I was in makeup for like two hours Yeah, every day. It doesn't look like it, but I was in, you know, yes, like there's so I much. Was in, yeah. And the shoot, the shoot days, some of those shoot days are 16 hours long. Well, they had to be, if the, if the teams were given these, what, 10, 12 hours, 15 hours to produce, uh-huh. right? I mean, that yeah, was but it's over. Day. It's over four days. It's over four days. So a 15-hour challenge on the show is like four hours one day, six hours this day, six hours another day. Because you have to account for the teams have to also get into hair and makeup. Mm. They also have to take a lunch break. There's also uh, production breaks that need to happen for the crew and everyone. No one, it'd be like totally illegal just to work. Ah. Hours, oh, right? you're telling us all these yeah. great secrets. I love yeah. it. And then, and then you're being pulled away for your interviews, right? So all right. the interviews you're seeing, they're being pulled away. And that's not in real time. You know, they're, they record you for 30 minutes and then they whittle it down to two minutes. So you have to spread out the Got challenge. It. So you have all of the material um, that you need to make the show. So what was the time period of of filming? Was it 2019 or 20? It was 2019. Oh, okay. It was, it was summer of 2019. Wow. So I was cast, and it happened very fast. I was cast in, um, I was cast in June, end of June. And I was in London by July 23rd or 22nd or one of those days. It was like a year ago. Three or four weeks. Yeah, it was like a year ago. You go, and it takes so long to edit those shows because if you're filming every contestant for eight hours a day, that's twenty contestants to start on the show, 
Each of them gets eight hours a day over four days. And that's just one episode. That's like hundreds of hours. Don't ask me to do math. That's, mm-hmm. that's, a, lot of, mm-hmm. that's a lot of footage that you need to comb through to get one hour episode. That's crazy. Yeah. I know working with videographers on things that I do, um, I've been told that an hour of footage, if, oh, for every minute of edited film, you need to shoot for an hour. So yeah, I'm thinking, yeah, sure. you know, that if you took it for an hour long show, that's yeah. 600 hours. Yeah, I believe it. I wow. believe it. It's, See, it's that's... really, it's a lot. Where were you in England or can you say? I can't say, but I will say that we were in the South countryside mm. of, of England. It was beautiful. It was such an interesting decision to be on in an old historic I don't know, meadow or something, but then have it this It was an dome. estate. It yeah. was an estate. Okay. Yeah, it was an estate, yeah. But then this dome, this more modern structure was kind of plunked down. It, it, it I don't know. It it felt really appropriate, but I couldn't figure yeah. out. It wasn't a greenhouse. It had a Yeah, they called it the geodome. Mm. Or no, I'm sorry, they called it the biodome is okay. what they what they called it, I believe. Yeah. And I think the inspiration was that they wanted to have something that felt like home base, but they also did not want it to be see-through so paparazzi and other people could take photos. So I think that was probably, and they didn't want to have like a traditional tent because I think that's associated with baking shows a lot. So I think they wanted to do something really new and sort of like quirky as well. Also climate controlled. I'm sure you had to keep all these plants from wilting and you, and the people from wilting. There was an entire horticultural team. Yeah. on set, um, horticultural producers, horticultural experts that were, their sole job was to make, keep the plants alive. So before the contestants got there. Well, that's one thing I really appreciated about it. I come out of horticulture. So seeing that this wasn't just, um, this disconnect with buckets of cut flowers and right. no thread to where they actually grow or how they actually grow. Mm-hmm. You really, uh, you and the producers really made, this appealing to gardeners as well as flower lovers. Yeah. I actually feel like it's probably more appealing to gardeners than it is to uh, cut flower lovers uh, because of all the planting that went on on the show. And we recycled a lot of those flowers. If it was in a challenge and it didn't die, it went back into the greenhouse and they got to reuse it. And you could not have predicted that the Chelsea Flower Show was going to not happen in 2020. We were supposed to go, I think. At least there was talk Seems like of it. us of of us going out there because our show was dropping around the same time. Right. Um, and I was really disappointed because I've never been, and so many of the judges have been in the show and have won medals, and it just would have been nice to reconnect with all of them Maybe and see year. them. I hope so. I hope we're out of this by next year. Yeah, that'd be great. And I hope we get a second season so we can do it again. Yeah. That'd so what great. is it going to take to get a second season? Just uh, people needing to watch the show and watch yeah. it again and watch it again and drive the numbers up? I It's A, that's tier one. Really what helps is people talking about the show, tweeting, tagging, the big flower fight. Like Netflix really cares about the com- impact the show has on the community. I'm talking about like a global community. They want to know that their shows are reaching people and people are talking about it uh, because that to them shows real value. Critics are going to say what they want to say, but 
if the audience loves it, that's more important because Netflix really cares about creating content that people obsess over. Yeah, like that engagement level is, you want to sustain that longer than the binge watchers who are going to see it all in one week. Right. That's the challenge too. Yeah, it's with those, with Netflix putting all the shows up at once, that is a bit of a challenge because you don't have that, I don't know, pent up anticipation for from week to week. Yeah, and you also don't have. Um, I've I can speak for myself since social media really became part of our lives. I've gotten the worst level of ADD. Like I can't focus on anything. Like I used to be able to go in on something, and now it's like fifteen seconds. I'm like, what's next? Huh? What? Easily distracted. It's terrible. It's so, why I listen to books on tape instead of reading yeah, an actual book yeah, anymore. Yeah. Uh, it's it's really terrible. Wow. So yeah, mm. you can definitely find yourself distracted with all the new titles every time you yeah. log into your next Netflix. You're like, oh, that's new. Well, let me start that. And then you just never finish anything. Well, I've been telling a lot of people I know who have kids and grandkids that this is a very fun family show. It is. And um, I don't think anybody, at least I, from the beginning, I thought, oh, this is like a professional competition. There's a limited audience. But mm-hmm. why do you think that is? Is it's just the kind of tone of the show is, is? Yeah, they actually did that on purpose. They wanted the show to appeal to a wide range. They wanted families to watch the show. And uh, so much so that they had a censor. <laughs> on set who was telling us you can't say that that's too much innuendo Mm, mm. (laughs) yeah Yeah, it was a clean show yeah it was a very it was a very clean show which is which is hilarious because i find flowers to be so um expressive (laughs) (laughs) well you had really quirky contestants and some of them you know Pushed the envelope maybe a little bit more than others, but it was yeah. it was fun to watch. It was a lot of fun, and they were that's who they were, and I was just as sh- surprised, pleasantly surprised as I think the audience. So you weren't involved in casting then? No, and I'm not involved in casting. So anyone who wonders, because I've gotten probably a thousand messages and please emails, please do not DM Kristen. Please, right? please, like <laughs> I don't cast it, and also why would you want me? to cast it, it would be terrible because then I would have a bias. Yeah. You know, or like, you pick all I, your friends. Or you pick all your friends. Like, it'd be terrible for me to, I, I don't want that responsibility. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I like that. I, I let, let, let someone else do that and you focus on the challenges, which is really what your, you know, your vision is for the show. Yeah. I also feel like you had, um, you know, going back to that thing about terminology of, of, principles of design, you had a very, uh, I thought, impressive way of communicating what worked and what didn't work with people. Mm -hmm. And you did refer to things like proportion and scale and Mm -hmm. color. And like, there was, there was a lot of lessons there that maybe for people who had a weird background, like somebody who didn't have a horticulture background, but who was an Mm -hmm. artist, you kind of met them where they were. Yeah. I think that's what you you have to do. And even when I'm working in my studio and I hire designers, which a lot of my 
like staff that works for me, they own their own businesses. They own their own floral studios and they're just in between a gig and vice versa. I'm like, girl, you need some help this weekend? Let me come over. And so having those experiences, you learn how to talk to people. You learn how to say, I know talent isn't the issue here. You have the talent. Here's what I'm seeing. And here's what I think you can do to make it better. Whether you take that or not, that's not up to me. But I don't ever want to question their talent. So you have to meet them there to start. And then they don't feel so threatened. You know, I think a lot of times on these competition shows, there's a lot of ego involved. I think as soon if you can take that out of the room, then you give yourself the best opportunity to grow. That's really interesting. Maybe you're drawing from those those graduate school psych courses uh, <laughs> in the way you you respect you respect those the contestants and absolutely yeah. and I learned I was like well I'm stealing that oh uh huh uh uh-huh. I'm taking that too oh that's really good oh that's how you did that okay great thank you you know I'm just there to, I'm there to learn too really I thought what you said on the when you were on with Yvonne and talked about um, one of the lessons you took from the show was to learn how to weld or find a welder yes like, you you guys envisioned things that were more like topiary than. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what you would maybe associate with floristry. Yeah. Yeah. I think that um, sculptures and clear design requires a level of engineering that pushes the boundaries of traditional floral design in the sense that we know it in sort of the more like event delivery, everyday retail floor design for sure. So you need need some extra skills. Yeah. And there's been a lot of floral walls and a lot of floral chandeliers, but that's, you're at, you're at the next level, man. The, the stuff yeah. that you guys were doing, it wasn't a one-off. Yeah. Yeah. It could, was really fun. Could you see doing something more sculptural? Maybe not a, I don't know, maybe not an animal, but you know, something like that for a client. I mean, now that you, people have sort of opened up their eyes to possibilities. I hope so. I hope so. I I think that there needs to be a conversation about sustainability behind those. Um, You know, a floral chandelier is sort of this nebulous, ethereal structure that's hanging above your head. It doesn't really um, define the space. It can enhance it, but it doesn't define it. And I feel like those sculptures demand respect and demand attention. So I think as long as there is uh, an intention to keep the sculpture longer than that eight hours that it's there at your event, I think that could be part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. That seems more interesting to me uh, as an artist versus then just like spending weeks and weeks of planning to do all this, hiring a welder, getting 15 people to bang it out in six hours and then just tearing it down and throwing it away. Next day, that seems just very wasteful. Yeah, unless the client was one of those people who's like, "Oh, I want this to be planted with boxwood in yeah. my garden down the road, and you know, yeah. repurpose it." Or if it's for like, you know, if it's for an event where the event is a few days or something. Mm. Yeah, you know, and I and I I will admit I am cautious to put limits on what a client should and shouldn't do because if you've got the coins, call me. but you know so i i think for me my own personal sort of like oh my heart oh wants it to last longer than 
few days. I felt the show really did have a sustainable thread to it. Um, no foam. There's no foam on our show. Uh, you, you. That's a, <laughs> Sorry, sorry I, to interrupt you. No, you. I was. I was waiting for it. I truly yeah. thought, oh well, we'll see this because you know, even up to last year, the amount of foam used in the floral pavilion at the Chelsea Flower Show, which I did attend last year, it was. I, I almost had to walk out. It was sickening. Mm, so. Really? But, I've never been. What was that experience like? Well, the um, not Chelsea itself, but they have this thing called Chelsea in Bloom, which is mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. high end shopping neighborhood district right outside of yeah. where um, where the actual show happens. All these storefronts dec- hire or commission florists to decorate the fronts of the store. And last year, the theme was something about under the sea. And there was so much foam being used in these faux wash oceanscapes. Mm-hmm. And I I don't know. I just thought there's a disconnect here that we have microplastics in our ocean and we shouldn't be baking a faux ocean with that. I mean, Dolce & Gabbana was the one store that did it right. I should send you photos. They literally- Oh, I would love that, please. Yeah, they literally used plants. That's why. They used potted geraniums, uh, pelargoniums, and they- took them out of the pot and shoved them through like traditional fencing spaces. Yeah. And yeah, it's yeah. gorgeous. Yeah. I think that's super uh, important to start highlighting more. And again, you know, I've used foam. I, up until probably two years ago, I was like, give me the foam because I didn't know. Yeah. And, but once you know, they don't want like, you to know. <laughs> Yeah. You're like biting your nails, like, oh my gosh, I can't continue with this. And yeah. it's been an adjustment. It really has because it's such an easy go-to fix for yeah. so many of us florists. But I think that it's really important to highlight exactly what you said. And we did have so many conversations on the show about why foam is yeah. not going to be involved on our show. And even the inside of the structures, which need to be filled for grounding purposes, it was like plastic bottles and styrofoam and trash and stuff from the compost bin and things that like should not be going anywhere else but into something else, into mm-hmm, art, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so we they made a big point of that. Did you come up with that rule though? Did you say this is my I non-negotiable? Did no, I did not come up with that rule. No, 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 no. That was actually brought to me being like, and we want to do this. And I was like, yep, makes sense. That's Let's cool. Do it. That's you very know. cool. Yeah. The wow. production team was so thoughtful. They were so, so, so thoughtful. Is this producer, have, has this production sh- team done other shows that we would know about? They've worked a lot on British uh, competition reality mm-hmm. shows. I think mm-hmm. they all sort of come from that world. Okay. Um, but it's it's interesting because I think that uh, the main, it's so, okay. Let me preface it by saying, I don't know how TV works. <laughs> I don't know. You I faked know it really how, well. <laughs> I don't know how TV works in terms of like, who's doing what and whose title is who. Got it's it. very, it's very different for theater. Theater is like producer, director, choreographer, clear lanes, mm-hmm. television, especially over in the UK, because you know, the unions are different over there. It, it's, Everybody does everything mm. over there. So mm. I, wh- this is what I do know, is I know that the producers that I interacted with had long uh, professional careers mm. in reality competition mm. show. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I really uh, 
I just hope that that you get renewed. I, I just me too. You know, whatever it takes, we'll uh, we'll put it out there in the universe, and and hopefully yeah. everyone who is reading about you and has already followed you will know that that's that's something to wish for. It's yeah. really it's really nice to have a bright. I don't know, bright creative spot in our lives right now. And uh, I feel like the timing, you couldn't have predicted Yeah, how important it is. Yeah, it's so important. Yeah. All right, I had one other big question I wanted to ask you when I emailed you about it. And I said that because of my perspective through Slow Flowers, I would like to know if you've, how you've developed your own sourcing philosophy and uh, has maybe coming from New York to Seattle might've changed things for you just because of the different product. Yeah, you know, I didn't realize that New York City is the center of the flower world in the capacity that it was. Because shopping for flowers in New York City is so inconvenient that you don't think that this is where it's where it's at, right? Uh, if you've never shopped at in New York, which I'm, I feel like you must have. Yeah, um, yeah. I went, to, I went to FIT, so I was across oh, the street. Oh, yeah. yes, you're yes. right there on yeah. 27th Street. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, so it's two city blocks, right? It's two city blocks of shops that you would walk by every day and you would never think this is where flowers are at. And you, when you're shopping, you're like bouncing from store to store to store to compare prices and compare what selections they have. And you've got a cart and you have a time limit in the cart because if you're not coming back in a certain time, they're putting back and they're cussing you out. And it's all this Michigas. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so shopping in New York for me was always... It's like, ah, uh, it was it was truly like I was on the amazing race or something. Yes. Like it was no wonder you're prepared my- for a competition show. <laughs> yeah, it was it was insane. Um, but I also didn't realize that the selection of flowers that were available in New York was so vast. So when I came to Seattle and when I came to here, we only had Northwest wholesale and Seattle Growers Market. That's two. I'm used to like 10 or 12. And, and they each carry very different products. And I came in the spring of 2016. So Seattle Wholesale Growers Market was popping. It was like a oh, yeah. floral wonderland. I was like, I didn't know. Where did all this beautiful flowers come from? Stems that are three feet tall, beautiful bushy flowers, things that you cannot get if it's being put in a box and shipped overseas just for the sheer mechanics of it. Absolutely. So I've absolutely grown to love, pun intended, I've grown to love uh, the idea of sourcing locally as much as I can. Um, so you, and before COVID, were you able to, were you, I know, well, before COVID was winter. So I guess last fall was probably the last time you were getting big, not even because I didn't come. I was gone from July through October. Wow. Yeah. So I didn't even really get to have a, a season, season a, w- a wedding season. Mm-hmm. I think wow. the last time that I, I did some weddings when I got back and some events, but I don't think that I did like it, it in a traditional sense. You missed Dahlia season, in other words. I yeah, I missed all the good stuff. <laughs> I missed all the good stuff. Well, it's coming back, obviously, and um, yeah. But I, I'm a, I, I don't know if. I don't think you I you would know this, but I was their embedded journalist. I was involved mm. with the growers back in 2010 when they were first formulating uh, the idea for a cooperative, a far, farmer-owned cooperative, yeah. and sort of 
grown I've grown up as a floral writer with them. Yeah. And I uh, can't help but say we all the time. Like I yeah, still yeah. think I'm part of it. And so it feels I, like a we. They create that environment, even if you don't work there. Mm-hmm. I still I you even say we, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. Well, I hope that you return to uh, practice where you are producing more weddings and events, even though I yeah. like your idea of moving toward education. Can you talk a little bit about what that's going to look like? I think for me, well, it, I mean, I think it's too early in the sense that it just, it's going to be an ever evolving mm. sort of uh, practice uh, for lack of a better word. I think that right now, more than anything, people are wanting to connect with nature. And I liken it to when we're dehydrated, our bodies are telling us, girl, go get some water. Right now we're being told to stay in our houses, stay inside, don't touch anything, stay inside. Even the air is not safe. And so we are craving, craving a connection with nature. Our bodies, our souls are telling us to do that. So really right now for me, my focus is encouragement. I think that's the first step is encouraging people to safely connect with nature. Even if that means sticking your head out of your 44th floor in your, you know, Manhattan apartment. Yeah. Just like get some fresh air, look out your window, look at the sky because that connection is really so important for our mental health right now. So that's what I'm really trying to drive home at the moment. And then, you know, as my brand continues to grow, I would love to be doing more um, in the home and garden market. I think that there is a huge opportunity to have a face like mine encouraging the next generation of florists and designers to go and pick up a shovel and go get some compost. And, you know, even if you have just a tiny little windowsill, like many of us do, if you live in the city, it's okay. You don't need to have, you know, an acre of land to put some seeds in a pot. Right. right. That's wonderful. Your, your Instagram feed has really been communicating a lot of focus on being creative yeah. um, for telling your story, claiming your power and, yeah. and, you know, getting through this. So I yeah, appreciate that. It's so important. And then go vote. Yes, sir. Yes. <laughs> save, save your energy. <laughs> really, really, I'm, I'm just saying, be creative, stay healthy so you can take your butt to the polls. Don't yes. stay home. Yes. Really. Like, I love it. This is not the time we have so much work to do. So yeah. feed, feed your soul. Yeah. Kristen, I so appreciate your time. I don't want to abuse it. So I want to just ask you, is there anything I didn't ask that I didn't bring up or or ask you about that you wanted to touch on today? No, I think that you really did a great job. That's it. Well, thank you for giving me your time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. Take care. All right. Bye. so much for joining me today. You can follow Kristen Griffith Vanderyacht at his social places. I've added those links in the show notes. And if you're as eager as I am to see the big flower fight season two, 
Be sure to post your favorite photos from the show and tag Netflix, tag Kristen, and use the hashtag TheBigFlowerFight. Let's do what we can to ensure that the mainstream media continues to provide programming for people like us, lovers of flowers and plants. Our next sponsor thanks goes to Mayesh Wholesale Florist. Family-owned since 1978, Mayesh is the premier wedding and event supplier in the U.S., and we're thrilled to partner with Mayesh to promote local and domestic flowers, which they source from farms large and small around the U.S. Learn more at mayesh.com. The 6th Annual American Flowers Week is underway, and we have lots of fun content to share with you, socially distanced, of course. Earlier this week, on Sunday, June 28th, I went live on Facebook to visit Kim Herning of Northern Lights Peonies in Fairbanks, Alaska, and we toured her peony fields and learned more about Kim's botanical couture peony gown created for American Flowers Week. I'll share the replay video of that tour in today's show notes for you to enjoy. On Monday, June 29th, our social media manager, Nisha Blancas, brought Filoli Historic Home and Garden to us live via Instagram. That was just one of the stories and videos Nisha captured as our field correspondent. She was at Filoli to commemorate what was to be the fourth annual Slow Flowers Summit. With concerns about travel and large group gatherings due to the COVID-19 pandemic, we rescheduled the Slow Flowers Summit to next year, June 28th through 30th, 2021, the exact same dates one year from now. But Thanks to Nisha's living only a few hours away from Filoli, she drove to this beautiful location just for us, and you can find the links to her posts in today's show notes. On Tuesday, June 30th, I hosted a group conversation with Tammy Myers of Laura Bloom and her collective of Seattle-area florists who collaborated on an American Flowers Week promotion. It was so fun to hear from several of Laura Bloom florists who, like Tammy, are Slow Flowers members. They created this promotion to help raise awareness about the importance of domestic flowers and to raise funds for important charities, including the Seattle nonprofit Solid Ground. Today, on July 1st, check out at MySlowFlowers on Instagram to watch me join Kelly Shore of Petals by the Shore and The Floral Source. We'll be unboxing the collection of red, white, and blue flowers that Kelly created as part of her American Grown at Home Farm Direct series in honor of American Flowers Week. And more great things will continue through July 4th. You can find the full schedule of activities at AmericanFlowersWeek.com. Please join me in sharing your seasonal and local flowers to elevate awareness about domestic flowers. Get involved and support this initiative to promote and educate consumers about the source of their flowers. You can download free American Flowers Week graphics, badges, and other resources at AmericanFlowersWeek.com. Our final sponsor thank you goes to The Gardener's Workshop, which offers a full curriculum of online education for flower farmers and farmer florists. Online education is more important this year than ever, and you'll want to check out the course offerings at TheGardener'sWorkshop.com. The Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 620,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. As our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of the American cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. 
I value your support and invite you to show your thanks with a donation to support my ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button in the column to the right at deborahprinzing.com. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more American-grown flowers on the table, one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging onto iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers Podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com. Thank you.